Good morning, and welcome to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. My name is David Canfield, and I'll be your host for this time. You can visit us online at uh, thechristianfaith.org. And if you have any comments or questions about the program or about the Christian faith in general, you can send us a note at notes at thechristianfaith.org. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and uh, and get your feedback. I think we've been talking about some uh, concepts that might be new to a lot of people. So if you have questions, we'd, we'd like to know that. And uh, it helps us know how we need to, to present these things. We're broadcasting live on Saturday morning, June 25th, 2022. And again, welcome to the program. And so in these programs, we've been talking about the matter of transformation and, and trying to help uh, explain what transformation is in the New Testament. We've done that uh, in large part by, by looking at the Greek word for transformation and uh, and getting into that. So um, there, there's so much to say about that that we could continue to uh, to get into. But now we want to go on and talk about the way of transformation. What is the way for us to enter into the experience of transformation? And we don't want to say how to be transformed because uh, that makes it sound like it's a uh, you know, a 12-step program or something like that. It's not, there's no how-to when it comes to spiritual things. These are spiritual and they're mysterious. And so how God brings us into the experience of transformation is unique to each one of us, each one of his believers in Christ. But what we can do is look at some of the principles uh, the Bible show us, shows us in regarding, regarding our transformation and, and try to get a basic grasp of uh, what these principles show us about how to be transformed. And so that's kind of what we want to spend uh, this morning doing, taking some time to look at what are the basic principles regarding transformation that can guide us into the reality of this experience. And first of all, what we want to talk about are some basic concepts about transformation. And again, because so few believers really have a proper concept of what transformation is, or even the fact that we need to be transformed. And to be honest, uh, a big part of the reason why we're spending time on this is to help believers just have a simple realization of the fact, I need to be transformed. I need to be allow God to work something of his life and nature into my being to make me a person who expresses something of who Christ is. Believers, if we simply get that concept and that uh, realization uh, to some of God's children, then, then it's worthwhile. Uh, and, and that's a big part of the burden for why we're covering the matter of transformation. So now we just want to see some of the basic concepts regarding transformation that we need to have, that can, as I say, can help guide us into this experience. And the first is to have a basic grasp of what transformation is. And we're not going to spend too much time on that this morning because uh, we've been covering that, as I say, in the previous program. So if uh, if you haven't listened to those, I encourage you to go back and listen to the previous two or three programs where we do talk about this matter at some length, uh, trying to explain what is transformation. But we'll just say briefly, as we've, as we've discussed, transformation means something of the divine life in nature is being wrought into my being to make me a different person from who I am in myself. Uh, in Galatians 4.19, Paul um, is, is uh, perplexed about the uh, Galatian believers, and he says, My children, with whom I travail again in birth until Christ is formed in you. That's a part of that word, transformation. It's the form of Christ. Uh, uh, 
the, the, the same word as a noun is used in Philippians 2.6. It's the form of Christ being wrought into our being. That's what the apostle was burdened to see, that something of the form of Christ, the very form, the nature of Christ would be worked into our being. And so that's really what transformation is. But like I said, we're not going to spend uh, more time on defining transformation this morning, but I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the previous programs uh, if you haven't already. Uh, the second thing is to, we need to have a basic concept about a transformation, which I think uh, will be foreign to a lot of Christians um, in the sense they don't have this concept. And that is simply this. Transformation has nothing to do with sin. And I'll, I'll say that again. Transformation has nothing to do with sin, at least not in itself. Now, because we, uh, as the sinful, uh, fallen human beings, are the ones who are being transformed. In that sense, it has something to do with sin. Uh, because, frankly, just about everything that has to do with us has something to do with sin. That's how fallen we really are. But in itself, transformation has nothing to do with sin. And what I mean by that is, even if we had never fallen, if we had never become sinful, we would have still needed to be transformed. In a very real sense, we can say God created us to transform us. Uh, why is that? Because he created us to be in relation with himself, and that needs transformation. Uh, and, and that's what we want to spend some time, like I say now, considering. Um, maybe I think a verse that would be helpful to understand this is uh, in the New Testament. It's Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And it's actually, it's, it's quite an important verse in the New Testament. Of course, Romans is the great book on salvation in the New Testament. It shows us what is salvation. Um, and and Rome, this verse at the beginning of the section on salvation in Romans shows us two things. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So there's two things here. Yes, there's a problem of sin. All have sinned. But that's not our only problem. We also have the problem we have fallen short of the glory of God. So uh, God has to deal in his salvation with these two problems. Sin is on the negative side. On the negative side, we got something we weren't supposed to have. We, got, we received the sin nature through the fall. And we became sinful. And we sinned because of that. So that's what we got that we were not supposed to have. But on the positive side, we didn't get something that we were supposed to have. And that's the glory of God. God always wanted and intended for us to have that glory. And that relates to transformation. And if you understand the structure of the book of Romans, you know, in the very next verse, uh, Paul goes on to say, for in 3.23, again, he says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In 23 and 24, he says, being justifi justified freely by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So from this verse on, he begins to deal with the first problem, all have sinned. And he does that in the rest of chapter 3, um, teaching us about justification. In chapter 4, he gives us the example of justification with Abraham. And he continues on that topic up until the middle part of chapter 5 in Romans. And in chapter 5, 10, he says, uh, now that we've been reconciled to God, much more we need to be saved in his life. So there's a much more salvation for us to enter into. 
in the book of Romans. Our salvation in terms of justification and forgiveness of sins has already been accomplished. But now in Romans 5, 10 and on, he's dealing with how we are saved in his life. And that section continues 5, 6, 7, and 8 up until uh, the end of chapter 8. In Romans 8, 29, Paul says, uh, uh, those whom he foreknew, God um, pre." Uh, uh, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And then verse 30, and those whom he predestined, these whom these he also called, those whom he called, these he also justified, those whom he justified, these he also glorified. These he also glorified. And that satisfies the second part of the problem that Paul speaks of in Romans 3, 23, uh, falling short of the glory of God. So there's two sides of God's salvation in Romans to deal with these two basic problems. But that I, I mentioned that first to show transformation is something distinct from the problem of sin. And even if we had never sinned, we would have to have the experience of transformation. Uh, because as I say, in a very real sense, God created us so that he could transform us. So to understand this more, let's go back to the beginning of the Bible. And we'll look at uh, Genesis, how God created us in the first place in the book of Genesis. And we see that, of course, in Genesis 1, 26. He created us in a very unique way. This is it's just a remarkable statement of how God created us. Uh, Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so that's how God created us. You see two things here. He created us in his image and likeness. And that's really what we want to dwell on right now. But because we were created in his image and likeness, then he said, let them have dominion. So he, as those who were his expression, those who were created in his image and likeness, he wanted us also to rule the earth on his behalf. Uh, but because of the fall, we lost, uh, we lost that dominion. But not entirely, not entirely. We're still the, the uh, central figure on the earth. But now we don't have the dominion God intended us to have. That's for sure. Um, but the point, like I say, we want to focus on in this verse is that God created us in his image and likeness. And that's, that's just a remarkable statement. And we are so special to God. And, we, of course, we never know who's listening to this program. But uh, the way the modern world and, and its skepticism, is, it just uh, it deceives people. It, it just makes you weep uh, to, to make people think life is pointless and my life is just meaningless. You know, I'm here like a vapor and then I'm gone and I, I cease to exist. That's all just a lie. Uh, the Bible tells us the truth. We were created in the image and likeness of God. We are so special. Every human being is so precious and so special to God because we are unlike any of his other creatures, not even the angels. The Bible never says this about his angels, but it says this about we as human beings. We were created in the image and likeness of God. And why did God do that? It's because he wants to bring us into relationship with himself. He wants to have fellowship with us. He wanted to create another being that he could fellowship with. So that's why we were created. And it's the process of transformation that brings us to the point where we are able to fully enter into fellowship with God in a full way. So I love, I love what Andrew Murray says about this verse. Now, he was a, a preacher. If you're not familiar with him, he was a preacher. Uh, he lived around 1900. He was from Scotland originally, and uh, he served the Lord in South Africa, I think, uh, mainly. And he has a number of devotional books. 
So here's what he says about Genesis 1.26, which says, uh, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So uh, Murray writes, Here we have the first thought of man, his origin and his destiny entirely divine. God undertook the stupendous work of making a creature who was not God to be a perfect likeness of him in his divine glory. Man was to live in entire dependence on God and to receive directly and unceasingly from him the inflow of all that was holy and blessed in the divine being. God's glory, his holiness, and his love were to dwell in him and to shine out through him. So I really appreciate that statement. It's, it's, this is God's first thought of man. You can see the, the high, high purpose God created man for so that ultimately his holiness, his love were to dwell in us and to shine out through us. What a purpose God created us for. And of course, through the fall, we aren't able in ourselves to realize that purpose anymore. But salvation is to bring us back to that original purpose of being those who express something of who God is and who are able to fellowship with God and enter into relationship with him. Uh, so that's that's the, the original uh, creation of God in Genesis 1, uh, 26. In Genesis 2, 7, it gives us a detail. Genesis 1 is more general. Genesis chapter 2 gives us some of the details about the creation that we see in Genesis chapter 1. So Genesis 2, 7 says, The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So here you see how intimate God was when he created created us. And again, no other creature uh, had any kind of relationship with God like this. It never says God uh, uh, had such a, such a relationship with us. Um, and it's interesting to note here that in Genesis chapter 1, the name for God, or God is referred to as Elohim. But here in Genesis chapter 2, it's referring to him by his divine name. Uh, in, in some translations, they say Jehovah, uh, God. That tends to be the more traditional way of uh, 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 expressing that name. Uh, in most translations, it capitalizes, it'll, it will say the Lord God, but it capitalizes Lord to indicate that it's actually the proper name of God that's being used. A more recent translations, more recent scholarship, they feel maybe the, the right way to express that name is Yahweh. So, um, but, and however you uh translate that name. It's uh, it's the name, the personal name of God that's being used here in Genesis 2. It wasn't used in Genesis 1, but it's used in Genesis 2 to show why God is creating man in the way that he is. It's because God wants to have a relationship with man. And so I love what the Concise Bible Dictionary uh, states uh, in its entry on, on, on soul regarding this matter. Uh, it makes this statement. It says, God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. And by this, man was set in relation with God, in relation to God, and cannot be really happy apart from him, either in present existence or eternally. So in other words, even in the way we were created, there's just something in us that wants to have a relationship with God. We know I was created to have a relationship with God. And if I'm I don't have that relationship. I just sense an emptiness, a void in me. Uh, one philosopher said there's a God-shaped vacuum in every man's heart. And that's a very good way to put it. There's just an emptiness in us. Nothing can fill until we're born again in Christ. 
And again, we don't know who we're, who's listening, so I would encourage you, if you haven't yet opened your heart to the Lord and you're wondering what your life is for and you feel that emptiness, tell God, Lord, I want you to come and live inside of me. I want Jesus to be my Savior. I repent. I'm a sinner. I open my heart to you. Come and live inside of me. Come and fill me with yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. When that happens, when you pray in this way in faith, God forgives your sins and he comes and lives inside of you. And that's the beginning of salvation, as we've spoken about in previous programs. That's, you'll be, you're justified, your sins are forgiven, and you're regenerated. That's when you have that life come inside of you that you were always meant to have. Praise the Lord for that, uh, that, uh, that God gives us his divine life. But everybody, everybody, Every human being desires to have a relationship with God. Even they may not be conscious of it, but they just sense there's something in me that's empty uh, because that's how God created us when he breathed into us the breath of life. So, as I say, God created us to have a relationship with himself and in a very real sense, uh, uh, we're very unique in that regard. No other creature can have the, has the potential to have that kind of relationship with God. But, uh, in our created being, even apart from the fall, our ability to, to have a fellowship with God and to relate to him was limited because we did not have at that time his life in nature. And a good example is, you know, um, suppose you you have a dog or a cat or some kind of pet. Well, you can have a relationship with that pet. You know, um, a lot of people very, uh, I don't have a dog, but I, obviously I know a lot of people do, my family members do, and you get pretty attached to them. You know, they're, they're, they're uh, uh, you know, just very, they become a big part of your life. And yet your relationship with them is always limited. You just, you can, you have some kind of relationship with them. I, I wouldn't say it's a real kind of fellowship. But if you have children, it's a very different matter. The kind of relationship you, you have with your children is altogether different. The kind of fellowship you have because they have your life in nature. That you, you could never have that kind of relationship with a, with a pet or any kind of animal. Even if you, you know, you're attached to the animal and you're close to it, you just can't. You just don't have, there's not that correspondence between you and, and that animal. But there is that correspondence between you and your children. And so, in a sense, our created relationship with God was just like that. We, we did have a kind of fellowship with God. Genesis chapter 3, 14, I believe the verse is, tells us uh, after the fall, God came to Adam and Eve. He was walking in the garden. And Adam, tried, Adam and Eve tried to hide themselves. Well, that indicates that God had previously been coming to them in that way as another man. And we think uh, that Adam was foolish because he thought he could hide from God. But actually, at this point, God hadn't yet revealed himself to Adam as God. That's why Adam thought he could hide himself, because God was limited in what he could reveal to Adam, because Adam simply didn't have the capacity to understand uh, God in any other way. So he was limited in what he could reveal to Adam uh, by uh, as a created being. So God's goal when he created us is to make us in such a way that he could impart his divine life in nature to us and bring us into a much higher, much fuller relationship with himself. Uh, then we could relate to, re relate to him in who he is as God because we would also have the divine life in nature. And that's what we see all through the Bible from the very beginning to the very end. That's God's purpose, is to bring us into that kind of relationship with himself by imparting his divine life in nature into our being. 
Uh, and again, the the reason why we're stressing this is to help us understand that transformation is not an afterthought and it's not related to sin in itself. It's related to God's original purpose. When we enter into the experience of transformation, we are entering into God's original purpose for mankind. Uh, and of course, we can't enter into that experience apart from the redemptive work of Christ. God's not going to give his life to us when we're in a fallen, sinful condition. So that's why we have to be justified first and then regenerated with the divine life. Then God can give us his life because then we're cleansed and pure and holy before him, at least in terms of our position. So he has, he, he has the ability to do that. But that experience of justification is for something else. It's for uh, God's desire to impart his life and nature into our being. So at the end of the Bible, you know what you see is the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. At the beginning of the Bible, there's a garden, right? The garden's not there anymore in, uh, in Revelation 21 and 22. What's there is the holy city coming down out of heaven, and it's made up of gold and precious stones and pearls. Gold signifies the divine nature because it's, just, it's unchanging. It doesn't corrupt. But precious stones signify God's transforming work because tr- precious stones come into being through a long process of transformation, a lot of heat, a lot of pressure, depending on what kind of precious stone it is. Gold is, it just kind of exists. It's just there. It doesn't need that process to come into existence. But precious stones do. So the precious stones in the New Jerusalem signify God's transforming work is complete that he desired to do from the very beginning. And so uh, at the end of the Bible, we're fully brought into that kind of fellowship with God. We never partake of God's person no, just like if you have a child, that person, that child does not partake of your person. They have your life in nature. They don't have your, they're, they're not one with you in your person, but they can fellowship with you as another human being. We're able to fellowship with God because we have the divine life in nature at the end of the Bible. And this is the, the accomplishment of God's eternal purpose. Praise the Lord for that. And so that, again, it's just to stress transformation uh, is something we would need even if we had never fallen in the first place. We would still need to have the experience of transformation. And again, that just gives some context for understanding what transformation really is. And uh, uh, that'll do it uh, for this segment of the program. Uh, and we'll be back in uh, the next segment to continue speaking about some concepts we need to uh, enter into the experience of transformation. This program is produced along with our website, thechristianfaith.org, to help address the need for a healthy word of ministry among God's children today. In the Old Testament, the Lord tells us through the prophet Hosea, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Our prayer is that the Lord, by his mercy, may use the christianfaith.org website and the Christian Faith Radio Hour to help the believers in Christ grow in our knowledge both of our Savior and of our faith in him, so that we may stand more firmly for the Lord and for his purpose in these dark times. Visit us online for articles on the Bible and the Christian life and to sign up for our e-letter, which deals with various biblical topics. To listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions or comments about what you've heard on this program or on our website, or about the Christian faith in general, send us a note at questions at thechristianfaith.org. May this program and the christianfaith.org website be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord 
and to all of God's children for his sake and his glory. Amen. Hello, and welcome back to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. And again, I want to stress, if you uh, have questions or comments about what you're hearing, please send us an email and uh, let us know that. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, it's helpful to us to know if we need to cover uh, something in another way or, or explain further some of the things we're talking about. So uh, send us an email. You can do that at uh, questions at thechristianfaith.org. So uh, we in the last segment, we talked about uh, how transformation is uh, something we need regardless of whether we were ever sinful or not to try to begin to consider some concepts we need to have to enter into the experience of transformation. Uh, the second concept we want to deal with is to, that relates to transformation is how we were created. And this is very, very crucial to understand. And I think it's becoming more common among Christians today. But we need to have a fundamental understanding that as human beings, we were created with three parts to our being, spirit and soul and body. Uh, and this really is going to need probably a fuller discussion at, at, at some point in the future. But to understand transformation, you have to be clear about this basic concept because there's a, a profoundly false teaching that has uh, been common among Christians for uh, a very long time, really maybe for centuries. Uh, and that is the thought that the spirit and the soul are the same thing. In the entire Bible, there is not a single verse that gives any basis for that belief. None. It's a completely false teaching, and it frustrates uh, so many Christians from really entering into the proper experience of the Christian life. Uh, and as I say, there's just no basis whatsoever. Uh, my under what I've heard is uh, that's what Plato taught. Uh, that man is, uh, we have a, a, a material part of our being, which is our body, and then we have a, an immaterial part that's our soul. So it's really a Platonic teaching. It is not the scriptural teaching, and it had to be very absolute, very firm about this. The Bible is definite and clear and leaves no question that uh, the spirit and the soul are two different things and they serve two different functions. And we'll see why that's important uh, in a minute. Uh, but right now, we just want to talk about the fact that we are these three parts. So uh, Hebrews 4.12 is very strong about this. And I'll, I'll just read that. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and it is a, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So, um, so here we see that the spirit and the soul can be divided, and they're divided by the Word of God. And that's an, just as an aside, spending time in the Word prayerfully helps us to discern the difference, what's of our spirit and what's of our soul. But um, in this verse... In any event, what we see in this, this verse is that these are two distinct parts of our being. And I'll never forget, uh, when I was uh, a new believer, I'd been saved less than a year. And I hadn't heard any teaching along these lines, uh, that the, the spirit and the soul were two different things. But I was reading in Hebrews, uh, doing my Bible reading, just my daily Bible reading, and I came across this verse. And, I, oh, division of soul and spirit. And I thought to myself, oh, so the spirit and the soul are two different things. I didn't know that. And uh, I hadn't been taught that. But I was, I was taught by the word. It's very clear. There's no question. If you can divide the, spirit, the soul and the spirit, they are two different things. You can't divide uh, 
two different things that are one thing. It just doesn't work. So, uh, so here this verse is clearly showing us that they are two different parts of our being. Uh, the, another verse, uh, the other clear verse uh, on this is First uh, Thessalonians five twenty three: "The God of peace Himself sanctify you wholly, and may your whole spirit, and soul, and body be preserved complete without blame until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ." So again, there's no question from the Scripture: there are three basic parts to our being: spirit, and soul, and body. That's First Thessalonians 5.23. Now, some translations, I know, like the NIV, I don't know if it still does, but they dropped one of the, conve- one of the conjunctions there that's in the Greek. It's, so it translates it translate as, uh, we are, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete. But that's changing the word of God. The word of God is very clear. Uh, there are three distinct parts of our being. They were trying to say, well, they're just lumping them all together by that translation. But in the original uh, Greek, it, Paul is making a very clear statement. These are three distinct parts of our being, spirit and soul and body. Uh, and like I say, probably we need to get into that in more in depth in a future program, but that should be very clear, just these verses right here, that there, really there's no question in the Scripture. And, and I say there's no basis anywhere in the Scripture for any kind of other view. Uh, and why is that important is because uh, of the how transformation uh, fits into God's salvation. You know, we've talked about regeneration uh, is one of the first things we experience as believers. Regeneration, to be born again, takes place in our spirit. Uh, uh, that's John 3, chapter 6. Uh, John ver- chapter 3, verse 6. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Uh, so it's very clear. We're regenerated in our spirit. But transformation takes place in our soul. Uh, that's uh, Romans 12, 2. It's very clear on this. It, it, Paul, the Apostle Paul tells us, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, our mind is who we are. And I should say, our, our soul, that's who we are. Very often in the Bible, we, we are referred to as souls. When it talks about uh, 72 souls went down into Egypt, or I think it's 276 souls were on the ship with uh, Paul. So we are souls. We have a body outwardly to contact the physical world. We have a spirit inwardly to contact God in the spiritual world. But we are a soul. And our mind is a part of who we are. So when it says, be transformed by the renewing of the mind, that's showing us God's work of transformation <coughs> Excuse me, is taking place in our soul. So that's a basic concept, another very basic and very crucial concept that we have to have uh, in relation to transformation. Uh, and uh, I think that's all we're going to have time for in this segment. I was hoping to get into a few more things, but um, that's really all we're going to have for, time for right now. And so uh, we're going to go to our break, and then in, uh, after the break, we're going to bring on Brother Peter from Naperville. This program is produced along with our website, thechristianfaith.org, to help address the need for a healthy word of ministry among God's children today. In the Old Testament, the Lord tells us through the prophet Hosea, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Our prayer is that the Lord, by his mercy, may use the ChristianFaith.org website and the Christian Faith Radio Hour 
to help the believers in Christ grow in our knowledge, both of our Savior and of our faith in him, so that we may stand more firmly for the Lord and for his purpose in these dark times. Visit us online for articles on the Bible and the Christian life, and to sign up for our e-letter, which deals with various biblical topics. To listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab, or directly on iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions or comments about what you've heard on this program or on our website, or about the Christian faith in general, send us a note at questions at thechristianfaith.org. May this program and the christianfaith.org website be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord and to all of God's children, for his sake and his glory. Amen. Hello, Peter. Are you there? Uh, yeah, I'm here. Hi. Okay. Yeah, I can still trying to figure out how to press the button. So, um, I think I think we're good. I, uh, I'm always frustrated with that. It's taking me a while, too long to figure out how to do this. But anyway, to the listeners, welcome back to the uh, to the Christian Faith Radio Hour, and we have Brother Peter uh, on the line with us. Uh, he is from Naperville. Uh, Peter Dong, uh, welcome to the program, Peter. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Peter is a high school teacher and a dear brother, and uh, uh, I should say a physicist, right? Maybe not. I guess not. Not. Not a rocket scientist, Peter. Am I right about that? But, but at least you have. I know you have your PhD in uh, in physics, right? So from where? Uh, from Harvard, I think, right? Where is? PhD is from UCLA. UCLA. Oh, okay. Okay, got it. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, anyway, so uh, just to introduce you a little bit. So, um, uh, first of all, Peter, I just want, you know, we've been talking about some basic concepts that we need to have regarding the matter of transformation. And uh, I just want to give you a chance, if you had any thoughts in general, first of all, to about anything that we've shared on the program so far. Um, yeah, I just, uh, well, I mean, I appreciate that you uh, have been bringing out, I think, a an important uh, an important part of the Christian life. I think reading the Bible is very clear. There's a, uh, an impression if all you have is to talk about the Lord's the Lord's uh, basic salvation, which is wonderful, then there's a big question about what are we supposed to do with the rest of our time here, um, and a sense that has sometimes come up among Christians of uh, sort of waiting, you know, waiting to die or waiting for the Lord to come back. Uh, to wait for the Lord's return is a good thing, but there still should be something that we have to do here. And of course, preaching the gospel is wonderful, but the Bible reveals, like you said, there's also more for us that has to change, right? There's something that the Lord wants to gain in us that's uh, beyond just our our basic salvation. There's a, a further salvation. So I'm glad you're talking about this. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, I think, now this question may come up uh, with a lot of Christians. Well, I'm, I, I'm already saved, right? Right and well, yeah, yeah of um, course. but mm-hmm. there's two sides, right? So, yeah, yeah, yes, you are saved, but there's another sense in the New Testament. There's verses in the New Testament along these lines that we are being saved. It's the present tense salvation, and that relates to this matter of transformation. Right. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I, I, I was it, looking and go ahead. I sorry, was actually looking over. I was actually looking through the just through a concordance, looking at all the different the different uses of the word saved or salvation yeah. in the New Testament. Yeah. And I don't know, it's, I, I didn't count in detail. It feels like about maybe half of them or a third of them 
are used mm. in the sense that couldn't be referring to our original salvation when we believed, yes. because they're used in a, pre- a, a present or future tense. They're talking about things that will happen or things that are goals while clearly writing to Christians. So there's a, mm. a you, you, you might say that the salvation we received from the Lord has not yet been completed or not fully worked out in us uh, until the, His transformation work is completed. Amen, Peter. Yeah, I, um, I, I think that's important to understand. You know, there's, there's, there's key verses on this that talk about this. And I, w- I want to be clear, you know, we, we strongly teach the security of salvation in the sense my sins are forgiven. I never have to worry about those again, right? But in the sense, in the ongoing sense of salvation, you know, I don't need, just need to be saved from uh, uh, my sin. You know, uh, there's just be saved from this crooked and perverted generation. There's that outward things we need to be saved from. That's uh, Peter, uh, uh, isn't that Peter on the day of Pentecost? And then Paul tells us in uh, Galatians uh, chapter 1, I'm not sure the reference, verse 5 maybe, uh, uh, he gave, Christ gave himself for our sins to save us uh, from this present evil age. So that's outwardly. But then I still need to be saved from Dave Canfield, right? From <laughs> all the negative things in my being. And we all know. So there's a lot of negative things in us that God has to deal with. And so that's that ongoing salvation. And so in a very real sense, we can say, yes, we are saved. We're already saved. Uh, and yet we are still being saved. We are in the present tense. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, Peter in First Peter 1, 9 we are receiving the end of our faith, the salvation of our soul. That's a present tense salvation. Yes. Uh, right. uh, Romans 5.10 is another very strong verse in this. Paul says if we're uh, justified, having been reconciled to God, we shall be saved in his life. There's no question. That's talking about a future salvation that we need to enter into as believers. Mm-hmm. So, right. Yeah, and I was thinking, um, you know, in a discussion which always naturally comes up of there's always uh, people often have questions about whether is our salvation secure. And, of course, I agree with you. The Bible clearly teaches that our salvation is secure, that it's not something that can be lost. But they say, why is there uh, ambiguity, right? Why doesn't the Bible just say so? Well, on the one hand, it does. But why are there these other verses? I think the reason is because there's nowhere in the New Testament that gives the impression that, to just believe the Lord is enough, and you don't have to do anything more after that, yeah. right? The, it's very clear that when you believe in the Lord, it's the beginning of the Christian life, yes. and there are many more things the Lord has for you, and there is no sense of complacency, no sense that, oh, you're saved enough, right? Hmm. And so even though I do believe it's true that those who believe in the Lord are eternally saved from their sins, according to the teaching of the Bible, there's never an emphasis that that would be enough for anyone. The, as soon as we're saved, the next step is the Lord needs to be working in us day by day, right? There's no, yes. uh, none of the writers in the New Testament make it sound like it's uh, that you have the opportunity to stop and relax, right? This is when the Lord really starts his work in us. The Apostle Paul didn't have that thought. I mean, maybe and I, sure. I, if, if we think every, if we think I'm fine, if you have that concept, I guess maybe you're more spiritual than the Apostle Paul. I'm not sure. You know, I'm thinking of Romans, <laughs> the end, the end of First Corinthians nine, right? He uh, he buffeted his body. He was concerned he could be mm-hmm. set aside. And, I, and if anyone doubts this, we'll read the end of First Corinthians nine, the beginning of, of tap, chapter ten. Paul, he wasn't concerned about losing his salvation, but he knew he could not. He may not gain the reward. Uh, of course, Philippians 3 is that wonderful chapter about uh, pursuing Christ, that wonderful section. 
forgetting the things which are behind, behind, stretching forward to the things which are before I pursue. Right. So Paul had that kind of pursuing spirit, really so. And we should have that, too. And I, I always think, unfortunately, a lot of believers uh, today are like the uh, uh, the apostles. After the Lord ascended, the, the angels had to rebuke him. Why do you stand gazing into heaven? Right. Get busy. Mm-hmm. Right. Really so. Yeah, really yeah. so. Right. It reminds me sometimes of uh, with my students, um, especially a student who's really struggling in class. So they ask, okay, well, what, what do I need to do to pass? Right. Um, and I, I tell them, okay, you need to do like this much and this much. But if you want, if you're, that's not a, a goal anyone has, right? Like you don't have a goal for your kids to go to school and barely pass. Right. So sometimes I feel like we go to the Bible and we say, okay, well, like, what do I need to do to pass? Right. Like what's the minimum requirement to escape the lake of fire? Mm. But God's goal is we should be, we should be, you know, whatever, I don't want to say A students or something, right? We should be, uh, we should yeah. not be looking for what's the minimum cutoff, right? right. But we should be pressing forward to mm. achieve like everything that Christ has for us. And there's, and as you've mentioned, there's yes. a lot. Well, I, oh, that makes me think, Peter, of uh, of your namesake book in the New Testament, right? Or one of them is Second uh, Peter chapter one, right? So, because uh, right. we we stress very much the first Second uh, Peter chapter one verse four. That's the verse that tells us we're partakers of the divine nature. And I think a lot of Christians mm-hmm. simply, I mean, I'm not quite sure that verse is in their Bible, but uh, but it, it's there in the New Testament. We are partakers of the yeah. divine nature. So, right. but then right after that, he has this marvelous section. He says, uh, uh, because of this, uh, supply diligent uh, in, in all, add all diligence, supply bountifully in your faith virtue, and in virtue knowledge, and in knowledge self-control, and in self-control endurance, and in endurance godliness, and in godliness brotherly love, and in brotherly love, love for these things existing in you uh, uh, and abounding constitute you neither idle or unfruitful unto, unto the full knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and these things, uh, I'm looking for, uh, for so, for in this way, verse 11, for in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly and bountifully supplied to you. We won't just sneak in, in other words, but because we've had these experiences, he said, and he says it's our responsibility. I want you to add these things. You add, add the diligence, add this, add this, based on the fact that you already have the divine nature. In this way, uh, uh, this kind of entrance will be richly and bountifully supplied to you. Yeah, so it's not just like you say, like, uh, what's the minimum to pass? It's, uh, we, want, we should seek right. after that kind of bountiful entrance into the kingdom of our Lord and Amen. Savior, Jesus Christ. So. Amen. I, I uh, you know, I mentioned uh, in the in the program uh, another verse, uh, Romans chapter three, verse twenty-three. And again, I just think that's such a crucial crucial verse in the New Testament, and uh, mm. because it shows the two sides, <clears throat> because because of our fallen situation, we tend to be very occupied with the matter of sin. Um, but in a sense, as Christians, we, we well, that's been dealt with. We're we're forgiven. We that shouldn't be our focus now. Uh, right. Our focus needs to be entering into the experience of Christ in a positive way, and all these things we've been talking about, how the Lord can work out His salvation in us. And I just, I don't think Christians have an adequate sense of that today. And of course, that's one reason why we have this program, why we're sharing the things that we are, is to try right. to help that. But uh, anyway, I don't, right. yeah, I feel like, the, yeah, okay, oh, no. there's a real, um, there's a real um, sense. Uh, of, I mean, I think I appreciate you bringing this out in this verse that to say that all have sinned is true, but then there's then there's also the matter of the glory of God, yes. right? Yes. And so there's a lot more. The glory of God is is a lot more than just not sinning, right? Yes. There's 
so much the Lord can be so can be glorified in us, or we can even re- receive the glory, right? That uh, that God has for His Son, He also passes on to all His children, and so the um, uh, it's uh, I think it's important to express that it's very hard. I was noticing in some previous episodes, it's actually, or actually when I was uh, thinking about it in our earlier conversations, it's very hard to talk about transformation without using negative examples, right? Mm. Without saying, because of this, I don't want to do this anymore, or I'm no longer yeah. attracted by this, I no longer struggle with this, and which is all true and good, and praise the Lord. But um, it's uh, beyond all that. <laughs> There's We want to, the transformation works out something very positive in us that's more than just the absence of bad, Right. Um, So not only that, oh, I don't struggle with a certain sin anymore, but also that now I have, what, a greater desire to speak the Lord. I have, I preach the gospel more. I have a deeper deeper knowledge of the word. I spend more time with the Lord, right? There is a, and when I'm with people, I, I, at least more frequently, express the Lord right, in uh, the things that I say or the things that I do with my coworkers, with my family, right? They're real positive things. Just as when Jesus was on the earth, it wasn't just that he was sinless, but all the things that he said, all the things that he did were so, um, so what, I don't know, so attractive. So like, wow, what is that people really noticed like wherever he went, right? That is a, I feel like that, that is a Another result of the better, the real result of transformation is that he's changing us into his likeness so that when we are, uh, when we are talking, when we are moving around, there is a, uh, an expression of something yes. that's more than just a nice person. But yeah, just, right. as, just as Jesus was, had such a strong uh, impression on everyone he met, right? The, same, the Lord can do the same for us. Amen. No, I, there's that, yeah. that expression that... Uh, uh, Christian Jews, sometimes we're the only Jesus people are ever going to meet, mm-hmm. uh, which is really true. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what God, he wants to have us expressing Christ in our daily living. And uh, so that when people meet us in a very real sense, they're meeting Christ. We're his body. We're the body of Christ. And we mm-hmm. convey Christ to uh, to mm-hmm. mankind today. And we're, 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 we're the living letters that should be going forth. And so, but the question is how much... Uh, have we really experienced Christ ourselves so that we're able to do that? Uh, you know, and, and that right. to, the key, you know, we've talked a little bit about the difference between sanctification and transformation. And, and um, you know, you don't want to overly define these because these are mysterious experiences. And, and again, I have to keep saying this. We're, I think it's, it's helpful to define them so you understand the kind of experiences you need to go through. But in our practical experience, it's going to be mysterious. And often, what's sanctification, what's transformation? But but there are some principles. And uh, sanctification, uh, I think it's right to say, is, tends to deal more with the negative side, uh, separating us out. Transformation means, again, something of God has been imparted into my being. So if if I meet a person who's transformed, I have a sense. I've just been in the Lord's presence. Uh and I, I, I heard people say that about Billy Graham uh, in, in his life, that uh, when you were with him, you just sensed you were in the Lord's presence and uh, because the Lord had done so much in him. And so if we, if we should have that same, in some measure, that same experience, that me, if, if people meet us and they feel, I've come into contact with Christ, then we've had some experience of transformation. If they meet me and it's just, well, this is a guy, he's kind of upright and uh, he doesn't get involved in other things, that's not bad. That's... Uh, to me, that may indicate it's more in the realm of sanctification. And, and still, sometimes when you touch 
someone who's really experienced something of sanctification and that that'll have an effect on your being. I know sometimes I've experienced that you, 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 you're involved in something, you know, and, uh, uh, and it's just whether it may not even be that's something that, uh, uh, sinful, but it's just un, maybe it's common and you meet somebody who's just, you just sense they just don't do that. Uh, because mm-hmm. because they have some experience of sanctification and that has an impact on you when you meet someone like that and uh, in a very healthy way now if it's if it's just self righteousness that's a different matter mm-hmm. but but if God's his work of sanctifying has really accomplished something in you then even unconsciously you can have an impact on others in that respect but I think and again mm-hmm. not to overly define it but if but transformation indicates they're going to touch something of Christ and realize I've I touched something of Christ in that person. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, that that's something more. It's something more. That's the positive side. Praise the Lord for that. Yeah. Amen. Well, um, uh, you know, so I, I started to talk uh, this morning about concepts that we need to have about for transformation. Uh, and I didn't have time really to get too much into some very practical matters of how to um uh, how to be exercised before the Lord to, to have this kind of experience. Yeah. And I just, uh, maybe, maybe we can talk about that a little bit now, Peter, what, what would, sure. what, what would you, uh, encu- how would you encourage believers who suppose someone's saying, I, well, I want to enter into this, but how do I do it? What can I, what can I, uh, what do I need I think, to do? It, yeah. I think sort of the good news is there is a lot of it that is, um, I mean, a lot of it is something instinctive. I don't know if that's the word, right? It comes naturally with being a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are really saved by the Lord, have a, a real experience, real dynamic salvation, it's natural to want to do more. People naturally want to gather with the saints, want to pray, want to read the Bible. Like, these all come, like, naturally. And those are part of transformation, right? As we spend time with the Lord, that's a, a part of our transformation, even in the— um, uh, well, Second Corinthians three eighteen talks about yes. uh, beholding the glory of the Lord to be transformed right, right into the same image. So, I mean, the the key, what the only way right to be transformed is through the Lord's work. And so, when we spend time with the Lord, uh, you know, in prayer and fellowship with other saints, um, you know, in, in studying His Word and but all those things in the Spirit, then that's where the Lord has an opportunity to transform us. Hmm. I would add that in my experience. Um, the Lord also needs to use other things. In other words, it's not just that I can stay at home and study my Bible all the time, and then, you know, at the end of 40 years, I'll be done. Um, But a lot of the real transforming work the Lord needs through various experiences that happen, uh, sometimes things that expose problems in our lives that force us to call on Him or to, to turn to Him, or sometimes real uh, you know, difficulties, sins or problems or shortcomings we have that force us to really come and cry before the Lord. Uh, in other words, the transformation work doesn't come cheap, right? It's not yes. a it's not a simple, trivial thing that we can just go to a church meeting uh, every week and get. I'm not saying that there's nothing there, but that's not the the. It's not enough to just sing songs to the Lord. There is. Uh, a real thing that is naturally happens as we grow in the Lord. The Lord has to arrange things for our transformation. So people often say that your spouse or your kids mm-hmm. can be a, a, a can be a source of transformation because of the, how much they expose about us that we didn't know. 
Um, you can uh, how much you realize that there's something that, that how little the control we actually have, how much we need to rely on the Lord for everything, um, right? But the Lord brings. Uh, I feel like a lot of situations that the purpose of them is to bring us to the Lord for more kind of. Well, I don't know. I feel like it's like intense, focused work where He needs to work on a specific thing, right? Mm. As part of His His transformation work. So that it's not, yeah, so that it's on the one hand, we keep, we go through the Christian life doing the things that Christians normally, naturally do to, to pray and sing and gather with the saints. But then the Lord also needs to do specific things at certain times to call to specific uh, uh, ends. And the more we grow in him, I feel like the more he does that. Yeah, that's right. It, it, it makes me think of, you know, I, I love the fact that this word transformation is used twice uh, in relation to Christ and twice in relation to the believers. And because uh, you see the experience in the Gospels uh, and then you have the explanation in the epistles. And so uh, in Matthew, uh, Peter goes through, uh, he, he, takes, he rebukes the Lord and uh, the Lord has to strongly admonish him. And, and I should, he, he admonished, I would say Peter maybe admonished the Lord. Then the, the Lord rebuked Peter, get behind me, Satan. Uh, and after that uh, was when the Lord was transfigured. That's in Matthew. And so it seems like that kind of experience is, uh, like you say, it's not, our person has to be dealt with. It's not, uh, you know, you see, and you see that especially in the life of Jacob in the Old Testament and in Peter himself in the New Testament, uh, mm-hmm. that uh, uh, you, you're transformed as your person is dealt with. And uh, mm-hmm. positively, uh, God is the nat- we partake of the life in nature, and yeah, it's so important. We're transformed as we come to Christ. I love, I keep referring to First uh, Peter two, four, and five. We we come to Christ, and that makes us stones for God's building. Um, but as we come to Christ, right. He's dealing with who we are and all the things in us that are not according to Him, like He did with Peter in Matthew sixteen and seventeen, uh, and then uh, in Luke. The, it's, a, it's a slightly different account. It doesn't, uh, you don't have the rebuke of Peter there. But he does, uh, when he go, takes uh, Peter and John and James to the Mount of Transfiguration, or Mar- <laughs> we have to be careful, Mount of Transformation, uh, hmm. there the, uh, uh, it says he was praying. And so, so hmm. th- that shows us, and then he was, tra- it doesn't say transformed in, uh, in Luke, but he, it says he became different. That's when he was transformed. And so it shows how crucial contacting the Lord is for us to experience prayer, to experience transformation. And then it goes on and it says uh, he spoke with uh, Moses and Elijah and they were talking with him about his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. So that brings in the cross. Yes, we need the prayer coming to God, but we also need the cross and to enter into the real experience of the cross putting to death all the negative things in our being so God can do this transforming work in us. These, so I appreciate what you're saying, Peter. It's not just that uh, uh, it, it is good. You need all these things, uh, spending time with the Lord in prayer and in the Word and uh, being in the fellowship with the saints, being in the meetings. But ultimately, the Lord has to deal with our person. It's not, uh, And that's not an easy thing to go through. Uh, I was just thinking of that, that verse uh, as I was getting ready for this. The Lord, can, he admits he can be pretty offensive. Right, he says, "Blessed is he who's not offended in me." Now he's talking about. I think that might be. Uh, I think it's Matthew eleven. I think it might be verse six uh, when John was trying to encourage the Lord to get him out of prison. He said, 
that was a must have been a right. terrible experience to go through. But the Lord didn't save him. He just what he told John was, "Blessed is he who's not offended in me." And uh, so that's the uh, uh, that's the other side to really experience transformation. You know. The, the precious thing about both Jacob and Peter is they never let go of Christ. They never let go of God Amen. or Christ. And so God had a way to transform them. And that should be our experience too. Don't let go of God. Don't let go of Christ, but hang on to them. And then the Lord can have a way to transform us, whatever we go through. So we're running out of time, Peter. If you, if you have any closing thoughts. Um, yeah, I, uh, I want to echo what you just said. It is an easy thought when we fail, which we do, and sometimes the failure is particularly bad or happens particularly often, and we have the sense to see like you can't do it, you can't you can't see like it's a failure, you should give up. Right. Um, that's where understanding the Lord's transforming work is important. Yes, when we yeah. do fail, the the result, the answer is we need to come to the Lord. He's the only one who fixes it. He's the only one who makes it better. So we fail. Satan will accuse us or lie to say, no, you can't even show your face to the Lord. Actually, that's when we most need to come to the Lord. Amen. And that's where he's able to do his transforming work. Amen. Thank you, Peter. That, that's a good word. And that's mm-hmm. so I'll wrap that up here. Uh, at this okay. point. So thank you, Peter, so much for being with us. I appreciate that. My pleasure. And, uh, Thanks a lot. Yeah. Okay, brother. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks Good a lot. Bye. Bye-bye. So that's going to wrap up this uh, edition of the Christian Faith Radio Hour. We're, we're glad you could be with us and uh, uh, hope to uh, be with you again next week. In the meantime, you can listen to the podcast or visit us online at thechristianfaith.org. Amen. You've been listening to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. You can visit us online at our website, thechristianfaith.org. And if you have comments or questions, send us an email at questions at thechristianfaith.org. And to listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify.